This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. And right now, we continue with the best of summer at Zupan's. We got a tasty trio for you. Three things not to miss in their stores right now. Summer gazpacho created by three little figs made with local Oregon star tomatoes, which are seedless. Nice. Uh, The tri-tip steak focaccia sandwich and all the sandwiches at Zupan's are great, right from the egg salad through the steak sandwiches are great, and you can grab them to go. They're on sale this week featuring roasted tri-trip, provo- tri-tip, provolone cheese, roasted peppers, red onion, lettuce, and romesco sauce on focaccia bread. And lastly, those delicious Mary Hill peaches from Goldendale, Washington, one of my favorite places. Been there quite a bit. And uh, the best way to eat a peach, according to their produce buyer, Ron, is take it, let it sit out in the warm sunshine, and then enjoy. It will change your eating experience, and then you can thank Ron once you're uh, once you're enjoying that. There you go. Just walk randomly into your local zoo pans and just say, thanks, Ron. And, exactly. And, and they'll know what you're talking about. While you're there, make sure you take advantage of the ready-to-heat meals, something we've been talking about for some time and uh, right now, their new grilled chicken dinner features grilled chicken breast with romesco and chimchurri sauce, Hasselback potatoes, roasted vegetables, spinach, and walnut pasta. And then, of course, you can always check out their full menu of ready-to-heat meals, ready-to-cook meals at zoopans.com. And what I love about it is if you order online by noon, you can have same-day pickup and have it for dinner that night, which is always nice. Right. and But the one I'm going to mention, I don't think you can order by noon and pick up the same day because it sells out, which is their lobster and clam bake. So get on the news feed so you are informed of when that happens because uh, we did the lobster and clam bake earlier in the – actually before the summer, in the spring. And that was the most delicious meal I've had since we've been eating at home for the last five, six months. Uh, so they used to do the lobster and clam dinner uh, in Lake Oswego on the, in the breezeway, but now you pick it up, you bring it home and enjoy it on your deck, wherever is a pleasant place to eat. So it features lobster tails, clams, wild shrimp, and really great kielbasa. So their August dinners are now online at zupens.com. There's August 15th with Louis Jadot French wine, and then August 29th with Vuve Clicquot French champagne. Look at you. I, oh, well, yeah. Mm. I, I took French in seventh grade, Court. Oui, so oui. If anything has stuck with me, we hope that has. And anybody's welcome to make a comment on rightatthefork.com or where they get their, fav- their podcasts. Uh, if I did anything incorrectly there. Very nice. On that note, I will say Trabian, and then I'll also say three locations to serve you. You got McAdam, you got West Burnside, you've got Lake Oswego, and always wear Zupans.com. All right, here it is. Time once again, Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And right now I'm in Manzanita. We've been recording these for months. Yeah. Remotely. I can't wait to get back in the studio with you, but we still don't know when that's going to be. Nope. And when I say you, I'm speaking of the uh, amazing Court Johnson. Oh. And we're not allowed to use the word amazing on the show. No. But I am when 
Thanks to you. Wow. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. No. So, um, you know, we've been do- we're going on, I think, completing seven years of this podcast together, my friend. Right. So it'll be eight years in January or the start of the eighth year. It's pretty crazy. And so you've done a remarkable job with engineering and putting things out there. I think we can both do a little better job with social media. Anybody wants to help us with that? <laughs> oh, no, could, could we ever? Yeah. Yeah. We've kind of dropped the ball on that. But um, but our but our listenership is up, especially because we've been doing repeats this summer and in due time, short time within August, you'll hear a couple of new episodes, Uh, but we have so many. We talk about six years, so many great episodes in the archives that many of our 2020 listeners have not heard yet. Or if they've heard them before, they should hear them again Mm -hmm. because they're worth Right. Case in point court. Which episode? Which episode would you think of right now? Are are you talking about the episode we're going to uh, play? play back for everybody or are you just talking about ones yes, that stick right now oh we're gonna talk right. we're gonna return to our conversation f- with uh kim malik of uh salt and straw and i'm looking up to try to figure out when we uh um spoke to her 2017 i think okay yeah so it feels like it wasn't that long ago but it's almost been three years almost four years since we spoke to her right and we had Kim in the studio and we talked about some of, you know, this was a little before they expanded a lot yeah. uh, down in California and elsewhere. And so we were talking about that. But I think what might be uh, a relevant conversation, all of it's relevant, but particularly relevant right now is, you know, Kim has uh, has a uh, she's the only white person in her household. Right. So. uh she has uh, some black children in the house and she talks in this podcast uh, as well as her partner uh, about some of the challenges uh, in 2017 anyway, right. uh, with raising uh, a mixed household. Um, and um, I'm sure with the pandemic talk about, we have to have her back on because talk about someone who's gone through a lot of challenges this year. Right. Not only all her salt and straw locations uh, trying to figure out what to do, but um, in the midst of this uh, being probably right smack dab in the middle with uh, emotionally with, with everything that's been going on. So. Certainly. I, I, I remember as a uh, audience member listening to this conversation and the perspective that she brings into it, me, me as a fellow white person, it it's a it's a something that if you know that if you're not in that scenario, unfortunately, and I think this is part of this broader conversation, you're not thinking about some of the things that she as a mother has to think about suddenly, and it just makes you stop and pause and realize these are really important conversations that we're that we're having right now that she was trying to have three years ago. So I think it's um, I think it's particularly um, interesting right now to have. Kim's viewpoints in 2017, which for her are, you know, they were the same issues that they are today. Right. So, so uh, it's summertime, it's ice cream time, salt and straw ice cream is still excellent. And of course, a phenomenon in Portland. And of course, they had to figure out how to open up. I will say this. Um, one of my favorite ways to enjoy salt and star ice cream is to run in the store and grab a pint and take it home. Yeah. Because 
you can avoid whenever they get back to lines if they aren't already you can avoid the lines and just take a lot of it home and and glom it down right you don't you don't have to be standing out there in the hot sunshine with uh with ice cream melting down your beard or incredibly in portland in the middle of a rainy winter sure night. yeah that's, that's true standing on line. yep which by the way is you know there's nothing wrong with that but no. that's that's <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with it, but that's that happens to be a um, an indicator of, of Salt and Straw's success and Kim's success. So just as a matter of course, because we can't assume everybody knows this, um, you know, Kim formerly was at Starbucks and doing some marketing and location scanning for those. And she took those tools that she learned at Starbucks and brought it and started, I mean, started, I remember when outside of aviary, they were a little small, little food cart with four flavors of ice cream. One of them being their uh, strawberry balsamic black pepper, right? Which to this day, I will never forget when I tried that and it was so unusual. And now, you know, unusual flavors are ubiquitous at Salt and Straw. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, she's they've taken it a long way, along with her cousin, Tyler Malik, um, who started in the kitchen as their chef as a really young guy. And that was a while ago. So now he's uh, matured into his role, I'm sure. And while he was maturing, Salt and Straw became quite a success being written up in national publications and um you know the lines that they have are again an indicator of that as well as i said a a little while ago so um i think everybody will enjoy this talk and uh with kim malik of salt and straw right at the fork is brought to you by dupan's markets inspiring you with the best in food and wine Local, family-owned Zupan's Markets provides a unique grocery shopping experience for Portland food lovers. Excellent products sourced locally and from around the globe with delicious chef-prepared meals for your convenience on West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Visit Zupan's.com and sign up for your exclusive deals and promotional offers. I know how to do this stuff and some don't. I've gotten some cheap-ass hats that are like this crappy foam (laughs) thing. I don't even know what to call it, but you would never want to wear it. And they're really light. That's the one nice thing No, and then then there's the mistake people make is they get that really thick T-shirt material, the beefy tee, Mm -hmm. and it's just not comfortable. No. It's not comfortable at all. But I've them where they're too thin. We have one, and the place shall be renamed. Why do I keep saying this? It Shall we remain anonymous? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that someone brought You're in us. the same bucket as me. They were kind of... Now, the Kim Jong Grillin shirt was fantastic. Oh, it's great. I still wear that. In right. fact, I think that I need feels a, I, that's great. one I need to have replaced. Because, right. That feels yeah. great. But we got another shirt from someone else. I don't like it. It's just too, too flimsy thin. and it makes, you know, makes me oh, feel... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So... I know. You know what people tell us so often is that this is their favorite shirt to work out in, which oh. I think is hilarious because... Not in your right, yeah. That's, <laughs> that is a little ironic. It is. I'm going to tuck this in. But that's right. the same thing as, you know, you were, yeah. you were here for the tail end of our Gary the Foodie update. And, you know, it's ironic that he would talk about his working out, too, because that's yeah. how he he's, he's oh, in good he shape. Oh, I know. great. And the amount of eating that he does is just crazy. So. Yeah. I don't work out as much, but. You can't. No, I can't. How do you keep... Uh, so <laughs> that's ask. the first thing, is how do you manage your life? What's the real secret? So you have... You got how many... 
how many shops now all over? We just turned place? to double digits, so we have ten shops. Ten. I just read an article from sometime in 2017, and there were six, or yeah. something like that. We opened a bunch of stores this year. It yeah. was hard. <laughs> so you have that. You have kids, and they're not the easy ages right now, where they're hands off. No, we have three children. We have a four-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a nine-year-old. Well, he's almost nine. Wow! So wow! Yeah. We. Uh, and they're all adopted. We Correct. yeah about three years ago the older two came and then the the little guy came about a year later. So they're so. not brothers and si- they're not all. They're bro- all our brothers. They're and all sisters. brothers and yeah. sisters. But it was sort of an instant family. Just add water. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if it was only that easy. <laughs> well, and you know, so it's a Facebook existence, but everybody looks so happy all the Aww. time. You know, and uh, our kids, we hit the absolute jackpot. So it was a funny story because. I got into this relationship with uh, my partner, Mike, and being in our early 40s, we thought, well, we better, if we ever want to have kids, we should start start that process. And it wasn't really happening, and neither of us were interested in doing the whole fancy thing that you do at the hospital. And so... One day he came. That's one way of putting is it. That the whole fancy, fancy thing. thing. I don't think my wife would have described it. Right, that next way. time I see a woman yeah. who's pregnant, I'm going to walk up and go, Ooh, "Fancy." I do got to say, where I mean the fancy thing, like where they do special things to you to make you be pregnant. Right, right. Yeah, okay. That's what yeah. fancy means. Sure. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> so, um, so I remember he came home from work one day and he had this video he wanted to show me of these kids that were up for adoption in Portland. And I said, oh my gosh, do you want to adopt kids? And he said, yeah, I really do. And I went into this shelf in the top of my closet and I got down these stack of books that I had moved in and sort of hidden when I moved in with him. We never talked about this, but I have always had a dream of adopting too. And so we realized we both shared this this dream of adopting and um, so we started down you know going down this process I mean we hadn't we both assumed we didn't want to disappoint the other person who we assumed you know would want to get pregnant and go through that whole process but come to find out we didn't and then one day we were talking we were in the middle of this they put you through all this training and we were having lunch and he said I have one more confession to make I don't want a baby and I was like I don't want a baby either <laughs> so we adopted older kids and um, we totally hit the jackpot they're incredible was it a long process was yeah. it a fancy process it wasn't it wasn't very fancy so I my thinking had always been that I would want to adopt internationally and Mike had kind of grown up in and out of the foster care system in the United States and so mm. he had an idea that he would want to adopt in the United States and so um, I said, okay, let's give that a try and see what that's all about. And um, apparently, if you want older children in the United States, it happens almost instantly because we hadn't even finished like the certification process when we were <laughs> we were paired up with these kids. So it was really fast. I mean, they were in a different state, and so it took almost nine months to go through all the political kind of administrative stuff you have to go through. But um, we were paired up really, really quickly. And so, how long has it been now? Almost three years. And so what is it like the first weekend? (laughs) These people show up in your house. Yeah, I mean, it was... I'll say this. So our kids are... They have hearts of gold. They're really super fun. Mike and I always look at each other and say, like, these are three people we would choose to hang out with because they're really fun. They're smart. They're adventurous. So um, in the very beginning, it's a little rough because especially these guys, they'd grown up 
in a situation where they weren't sure if adults were going to be in charge or not. And so when they enter a new relationship, it was like, are you going to be in charge or me? Me, you. I'll right. do it if I have no, to. I'm, but I'm, I'll- <laughs> I'm sure your nine-year-old is always ready to take charge. Yeah, if, and he, if he will. Needs to. He will because he did, yeah. you know, early in life and he survived and it's a great skill to have. But there was a little bit of a tension um, that we had to work out to prove like, nope, we're here. Yeah. We're large and in charge. Yeah. We got this. And once he figured out that that was the case, he's like, cool, I'll can, go be I a kid. Be kid. Yeah. And Man. so, I don't know, the first weekend, we went nuts at the store buying um, an insane number of toys, <laughs> thinking it would be super memorable. And like six months later, they had no memory of that. But um but it was it was a it was a really really fun process to get to know them. And, and did you and Mike have everything kind of worked out? Did you have strategy meetings beforehand, or did you just kind of go with the flow? No, when I mean, it happened, we both he took a little time off, and I was more or less off for almost three months. So we were there with them together. I will say it was a lot easier when he was around. I don't know that deep male voice does something to children where they listen. <laughs> but um, uh, are you, know, you saying they they don't listen to you? Uh, it's a. I'll, I'll say this. There's. It's a real thing. I've read all these articles about. Like he and I both work and we divide and conquer. And he's a great dad, but it's like the females tend to take on this certain role and it's more it just is and for a while in the early days in this whole adoption process I was really stressed about that and I kept telling him you know I'm doing this and this and this and finally he said okay what do you want from me you know like how do I how do I fix this because I actually can't be there to take him to school I can't do a lot of these things that you're saying and and I said I just want you to know (laughs) I want you to acknowledge it and like know that this is freaking hard and and he's like oh got it i can do that you know and it went a long way toward creating this kind of i think we have it really well worked out now but it's hard did you stop for ice cream after going to the toy store (laughs) it's like the cobbler's children i remember uh, my older son he said not too long ago he was came home from school and he was like Mom, the kids at school are talking about these new flavors at Salt and Straw, and do you think we could try them, you know? Because we never have ice cream at home. You don't even have a stash at home? (laughs) I forget to grab it on my way home. I'm in such a mad dash to get where I'm supposed to be. I don't bring ice cream, and then they're like, oh, could we get some ice cream? Uh, I got a secret for you. You can go to Salt and Straw, and if you buy pints, you don't have to wait in line. (laughs) Well, my favorite thing is even better now. You can order it on Postmates, which I do all the time. Oh, there you go. That's awesome. <laughs> I'll be home. We're finishing dinner, and they're like, "Do you have any ice cream?" I'm like, "We will have ice cream in 15 minutes." <laughs> so there's the question: Do you, um, because we live in such a collaborative town, uh, do you go other places for ice cream too? Yeah, I do. I I certainly do. Um, I actually don't go anywhere very often right now, though, to be honest with you. (laughs) You're not out very much? I don't go very many places at all. It's kind of, it's like we're home, we're getting through, especially during the school year, making sure everybody's where they need to be. The kids have a zillion activities. So, um, Did you grow up with a lot of activities? Because I didn't. I I mean, we had Little League and a little bit of this, but did you... I, t- I did not as much as, you know, and I'm a firm believer in, like, don't overschedule. Mm-hmm. And it sort of, like, takes on a life of its own. And they're in well, piano. Well, really also. That's... Yeah. So <laughs> it's a little bit crazy. I don't know. How, so do you have a... Um, 
How do you juggle it? Do you have like an, you, it doesn't seem to me, we've been in touch directly. I know you have a publicist, but you don't have an assistant scheduling things like this. No, I, if I were smart, I would probably do that. I mean, we still, our company is still pretty small in terms of the number of people who work behind the scenes. And I do a lot of my own, most everything myself. Um, um, I don't know how I juggle it all. I mean, I, I, uh, we, we have a nanny who helps a lot during the day. Um, but you know, we adopted them and I don't want to be like, hi, welcome to the family. Here's your nanny. Have a good life. Right. So I, <laughs> I tried to take him to school most mornings and be there, you know, by four o'clock in the afternoon to help him with homework and have dinner. And so, um, I just make that my priority. I mean, I was reading recently that some of the most sort of satisfied working moms are those who own their own business. Cause although you're working a ton, you can kind of have that control. So like I'll wake up at five in the morning and work for a couple hours before they get up, get them to school, work during the day, then work again at night after they go to bed. So as far as they know, like I'm there when they're not in school for the most part. And I have the ability to do that. So it's nice. I, uh, I feel very fortunate in though, in that I was single parent and I got to do that too. You could schedule and be, you had much more control. Yeah. I never had to ask anybody else, can I go get off so I can go to the, this thing at the school? Exactly. And I think that's really important. So you have that opportunity. I have a, a I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, so in order for you to, have, to be away, you obviously have a staff that you can trust and the staff is growing larger and larger. And it's more important, it's always been important, but it's even going to become more important that you have people you can trust that work hard, do all the right things. You got an ice cream shop and they can't be surly. They can't be, they have to, there's a lot to do that, that can be done not well, that has to be done well. We've had a few people on this show and I've had private conversations with restaurant owners and chefs about millennials mm -hmm. and their work uh, ethic and their work habits. And I know I might stir a little controversy here, but these are things I've heard. Um, how... And I would imagine a lot of your employees are of that age, yeah, in that age are. group. How is that going? How is that for you? Have you found cha it challenging? Do you have a way, a good way around it um, to tackle it before it might become a problem? I mean, so we, as you said at the start of the show, we've gone through a large amount of growth this year. And um, as we're looking forward to, you know, our plans for the future, um, it was funny because when we opened in San Francisco, Casey Milligan, who's been with Salt and Straw since the very beginning, and she was our first store manager, and now she runs all of our shops. They all report into her. And she was saying that um, she was down there in San Francisco after we had opened, and you know the store was full of people. It was more successful than we could have imagined. We were so grateful, and the ice cream was being well-received. And she said, you know, um, something's wrong. Something behind the scenes that doesn't feel right. And I'll tell you, that caught my attention. <laughs> um, and we talked about it and talked about it and kind of got a good understanding of why on the operations side something fell off. And we just kind of left it for a second because we didn't know what to do with it. A couple of days later, I was in a meeting with some people who advised me and we were looking at the plans for the future. And 
he said, this man, Alan, said to me, um, okay, so I see you have this plan here. So where is your detailed plan for how you're going to grow managers to get to this number? And I said, well, we're doing this. And we hired, you know, these people and we're working on this. And he said, okay, so you don't have a plan. (laughs) And I said, well, you know, no. I mean, we do. And we've always done it very intentionally, but organically. But no, I don't have something written out for how I'm going to do that. And he said, well, right now at this point that you're in, you can't actually do this if you don't have that plan in place. And so we stopped everything we were doing probably for the past three months. Uh, we've been working really aggressively on putting that in place. And and to get back to your original question, I mean, I think what we realized, what Casey was feeling was off is, you know, we have a pretty incredible training program that we've developed over the years. And we went to Union Square Hospitality and heard directly from Danny Meyer about how to do that. And so we kind of always thought training equaled experience and it doesn't. And, um, you know, what we were finding, what Casey was experiencing was that, um, you know, someone can't walk into a store and go through a training and then run it. They, they, have to, they have to have your DNA and breathe and be part of your culture for a certain amount of time before that's possible. And so we kind of stri- scrapped all plans to stop and wait until we can get that in place and grow people organically. And it's super exciting for our team because now they see like a really clear path forward as we grow to grow and, and have this great career, which is central to the reason we wanted to grow to begin with. So it's all kind of catching up with us in a good way. But um, it was an awesome point to kind of stop and, and figure that out um, before we messed up. So, th- this, And how does that relate to millennials well so i think you know i i think you know a lot of these folks that we are plopping into shops and giving them this great training you know being able to kind of grow them organically within the company and you know maybe maybe millennials have um you know a certain set of values but i'll tell you one thing i've noticed like they believe in themselves (laughs) <laughs> and, and given an opportunity to um, be given a path forward, um, I, what we're noticing is that they're very interested in following that path forward. And, and um, where I've seen troubles with millennials along these lines, and we've just been dealing with this actually in the past week, is um, someone who wants to quickly get there. So like, no, I don't want to go through this manager and training program. I don't want to go through this long process. You know, I have a degree, I have this experience, so I deserve this position. And it's like, yeah, you probably do deserve that position. And we need you to do that position. So we're all on the same page here. But what we've learned is that unless you go through, you know, this long process, you're not going to be successful. So if you have it in your head that you're going to be successful immediately because of who you are, we have found that you're not. And so it's not going to behoove either of us. I've been using that word behoove. Um, That's a good word. <laughs> uh, to, pro- to give you that are we, job are we that you see want. going to see it up on the, on the ice cream? <laughs> I don't think uh, so. Behoove, I don't know where it came behoove from. Something. It behoove. should be behoove something. I'm sure I learned it in Montana growing up, right? Behoove. So I guess that's how I would relate it to millennials. Like it's, it's, it, it has, it's frustrating, I think, sometimes that they have to go. And, the, and what I keep saying is the only thing that's going to give us this program is time. There's nothing else. Like we can't shortcut it. We can't. It's just going to be a matter of time for us and our employees to to go through it. And that also means that you have to regulate how quickly you're opening yeah. up shops. Absolutely. You, you don't have it. Otherwise, you're going to be doing exactly what you say doesn't work. Exactly. And we have no interest in doing that. I mean, we have two limiting factors. You know, we can go out and get great real estate. We have access to 
some money. We know how to make ice cream, but we there's no magic spigot where you can turn on people. Like that's just it's developing people over the long run. And then number two is whenever we open in a new city, we open it. We do a brand new menu from scratch, and so that takes you know months and months and months and months and months and a huge investment to to um, to build that menu. So if we were just shipping ice cream from Portland, it would be a lot easier. But um, those two things really keep us. Um, you know, s- just slow us down much more than than others. Well, but that's also contributes to your success and your growth that you're doing. That it's local. I mean, yeah. we had Tyler in here, and yes. he was a wonderful guest. Oh, just we loved love him. Tyler. I love him. He's just and he's always so gracious, nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talked about just how the it's the local aspect mm-hmm. that has really and relationships with farmers, but also the people and and the. What goes on in line too is a is a kind of a local experience as well. Right? Yeah, local that's or, right. And like, it was fun to just like be serving ice cream in San Francisco and seeing the same thing happen. So it's you know people, we've had people get job offers or marriage proposals, and they're always treating each other at the end. And so it's it's a that community aspect is really exciting to us. Are San Franciscans any different than Portlanders? <laughs> Have you seen anything yet to make you feel that? I'll tell you one thing. When I was scooping ice cream the weekend we opened, probably I would guess about 60%, maybe even 70 had been to Portland, to Sonstra in Portland. So oh, okay. they love Portland, mm. think a lot of the city and and um, have a great admiration. And so, so many people would be saying, no, stop. then stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Let them stay down there. So your experience at Starbucks, um, you obviously weren't opening. You were, but you didn't do all the things you're doing now. No. I mean, now you got everything that's on your plate. That's right. Or in your bowl or in your cone, <laughs> however you want to put it. <laughs> um, and so um, what were some of the most, what have been some of the most challenging things that you thought, okay, I can, you know, I'll do what I do well and I'll pick these things up. Where, where have you found your stumbling blocks? Um, oh, everything. <laughs> Just Sincerely, everything. I mean, I, I was at Starbucks in the early days. There were 30 stores when I started. It was a tiny company. How many are there now? I have no idea. Like? Bazillion. I don't like, know. <laughs> we can probably Google five it. figures, maybe? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. A real lot. So we were tiny. No one had heard of it. My parents felt bad for me because I didn't get a very good job out of college. And I... Um, I did. I worked on opening new stores, and you. I remember when we opened our second store. Um, Sorry, I'm just going to hop in here real quick. I just did a quick googling here. You, you want the Starbucks? You were off by a few thousand. I'm off by a few. I know. Well, I, when I said five <laughs> figures, I meant high. Five oh, okay, figures. yeah, twenty five thousand in 2016 worldwide opened. Oh, oh no, are, total that are, that are running. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. on. That's yeah. five That's figures. Thir- Thirteen. 13,000 just in the U.S. So there were 30 stores when I started working there. and um, Yeah, you were right. Yeah, you were in that realm. Yeah. yeah. So it's grown Never what? right, so I want to take uh, credit. Yeah, how does that feel coming up saying that he was right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, I like to, I'd rather hear women say that. Men saying that is, doesn't have the same. Doesn't do anything for yeah, you. No, I'll say it less. Uh, yeah, yeah. I said that to but, Mike the other day. Yeah, I guess you're right. And I said, don't think that's easy for me to say. <laughs> he started laughing. Um, yeah, so I remember when we opened our first, our second store on Northwest 23rd, I called Wendy Colley, who's now the president of New Seasons here in Portland, and she had been in operations at Starbucks forever, and I just said, holy moly. 
Is that what you said? How do you? How did you get all these stores to do the same thing on the same day at the same time? This is so incredibly hard. Just having two, you know. And so she came and helped me, and like got got a few things in place that we needed. It's it's. I think the operations and managing the people and managing the stores is incredibly challenging. And then if darn financials, like I used to get a P and L and. I could read it and figure out how you're doing. And um, man, making sure you have all your financial <laughs> information in the right order so that you know what the heck. I always say, like, for the first several years of my business, I felt like I was driving through a snowstorm and I didn't know where the path forward was because it was so hard for me to get my hands on the right financial information. And um, uh, HR, I didn't even know what HR was until a couple of years ago. <laughs> So, I mean, it's been nothing but a, a series of ongoing lessons and, um, you know, learning the hard way. Do you feel like you're at a point now, now that you've opened a few, rest, few shops mm-hmm. in Portland, now you've gone to big cities, right? Yeah. You've tackled, you didn't go down to Eugene, no. right? You went to LA and San Francisco and now you're looking at Seattle and mm. possibly New York. No. No, no. Was I not supposed to say that? <laughs> we're serving ice cream in New York, but we're not opening Yeah, New York. but someday maybe. <laughs> um, do you feel like you're at a place where you've got enough figured out that you can move forward or... Yeah, I mean, we have a great foundation in place. We have a great team, and now we have... Um, um, a few folks that are investing in us who have done this before, so... They can also help tell us, you know, like, get this people plan in place and, you know, make sure that you're do this HR audit that keeps you safe. And so they, they, they've been through things the hard way and they're helping us a lot, which is cool. Is that a, is that kind of a mandate for an investment to happen or are they investing and then just helping? Because one of the things I was impressed with was, and you said this in an, in an interview I read, was that um, how much wonderful free consultation you got maybe not in those words (laughs) but that's the way i read it that that people were really lending you a lot of uh advice well i mean listen even though we're 10 stores we're still really small and in terms of working with you know investment like this they typically wouldn't invest in a company this small you know and so we don't we're not as sophisticated as most of the people they work with um, we have a tiny team and we don't have a ton of kind of like systems and reporting and all the things that you would typically have as a bigger company. So we, um, yeah, I mean, I met Danny Meyer and his team maybe four years ago. And on the way out the door, they said, well, call us if you ever need anything. And I thought, well, I am going to call you. And so we would call them. All the, we would call them over when we were trying to set up a manufacturing and supply chain, you know, because Tyler would just make ice cream and then we we know we needed to grow that a little bit and we didn't know how. And so they would have us into their office and show us what they're doing and help us set up job descriptions and all these things that we didn't know how to do. And and you weren't as well known then. So three oh, or four gosh, years no. ago, they were being really just generous really nice with their time. Generous. They didn't, yeah, there wasn't as much opportunity for them at the time. Oh, heck no. No, 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 no. We yeah. were just, we were a really small company trying to figure this out. And I think, um, I don't know, maybe they we just liked each other and they liked kind of working together and, but they would, and we did would, Portland have anything to do with that? The fact that you were from Portland, do you think I'm that was, I'm sure I think being from Portland has made a big difference on a lot of friends. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think we, 
while we were there with them, they, they really, they were sparked and interested in what we were doing and where we were from and what we were about. And they're always looking to learn things from other people. And it's just been a fun ongoing relationship, but Oh my gosh, over the past four years we would call them two or three times a year for help on big things. Like we were trying to negotiate a contract with the blazers and, you know, here they are and they have outlets in all kinds of different sports stadiums. And so when we were sitting there looking at each other across the table, trying to figure this out, we thought, well, let's call them up. And they got their head of their division on the phone and helped us figure out how to have this conversation and what we should be focusing on. So they've been, and they really know great. what they're doing. I've been to the shake shack at city field. <laughs> so, and, and they know what they're doing. Yeah, they really, yeah, do. they really do. So we're, we feel really lucky. And I guess for me, yeah, don't offer to help if you don't mean it. Cause I'll, because you'll do it. Pick you up on it. Um, so, relatively speaking, I find it interesting that you say you just still refer to yourself as really small, because there are a lot of people who start out in Portland, right, on very with very small things, pop ups, carts. Mm-hmm. You didn't even have a cart, right? You didn't. Yours wasn't a f- food cart. It was a push cart. Push cart. <laughs> yes, with an umbrella on it. Yes, you're right. So you started out there. And when you say you're still really small, there are a lot of people that look at Salt and Straw and think, wow, they're big, right? So is your mindset on a Starbucks level that you're still thinking of yourself as really small and that, no, maybe it's it's ice cream, it's not coffee, but then someone, you know, (laughs) 20 years from now, you come back and go, ice cream. Um, So where's your mind on that? Well, when I say small, I mean, like, we have 16 people in our office. That's it? 16 people. Yeah. So it's, it is small. I mean, from a, like, behind the scenes, there's a very tiny team doing all this work. So when you put out your job offerings that I've seen a few times, that's a big opportunity to get in in as one of the first two dozen. (laughs) I'd say so. Yeah. It's a small, so we don't have a huge team of people. We're still really small trying to get a lot done and um so that's what i mean you do that much with that many people that doesn't include the scoopers no that's just in the office just in our and how many how many employees total i think um altogether we're around 400 oh okay well that's that's a few yeah that's a lot. Gotta keep the keep everybody staffed. Weekend shifts. Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah, and we try to overstaff our stores so that. When you do wait in line, which we're so grateful for, and when you get to the front, like our scooper doesn't feel rushed. They can spend the time with you, slow down, sample through the menu, tell all the great stories we have to tell. We, you know, we try to make sure people stay fresh and they're not, you know, killing themselves because it's hard work. You know, you're scooping for that line for that long. Um, we want we want it to, you know, stay that kind of special experience and um, take really good care of our people. Do you have any, is there like any limit on how long someone can sit there and try ice cream before you need to get them moving? I'm from, I'm from the East Coast and I would get at some point like, okay, move. Yeah, you're moving on. Moving on. I think if you try all the flavors, you might be done. But no, we wouldn't. But so are your people anymore. skilled to say, all right, either, you know, shit or get off the pot? <laughs> here. They're so good. I mean, you know, we go through, I think we have four days of training before you start. So we have all kinds of um, great ways to connect with people and yeah, kind of 
move on if we need to, but we really, really emphasize not rushing people and making sure people can take the time they need to and that we're staffed appropriately so that other people don't feel like, ah, I wish they had more people. We literally put as many people as we can behind the counter. And I think that's pretty important because there, there's nothing worse than waiting in a long line and getting up there and realizing there's there's quite literally one person <gasps> behind there or, or, maybe, or maybe two and... And which is never the case at Salt and Straw. You get in there, and, and it's exactly as you described. There's mm-hmm. plenty of people there. There's just a lot of people wanting the ice cream, and and you know, and, and I always feel bad for the one guy stuck behind the counter when there's a long line. It's just yeah. like, oh, poor guy. Oh, it's tough. But I'll tell yeah. you, there's nothing more maddening for me than, and I get this at the grocery store all the time, waiting and li- waiting, mm-hmm. and they're having a conversation. Oh, right, right, sure. Like mm-hmm. a just a a personal. Nothing conversation, nothing, yeah. no information is being imparted that's going to help either of their lives. It's like, so what are you doing this weekend? And they don't even know each other. I am just livid. <laughs> just like, and, it, and I can tolerate it for about 30 seconds, right. but when I've got to wait longer for that. And it's, it's, it does not happen on the East Coast. It no. does not. They don't even ask you, did you find everything you wanted? <laughs> that does not happen. So there's no conduit for a conversation here. It happens all the time. Yeah. So is that an issue at all or is this just me? Well, no, I mean, we definitely, so we offer, you know, coming, I went to New York and took this, Casey and I went to this training at Dan, Danny Meyer Hospitality Course and we came back and we're really inspired to create this program for our team. And so we, yeah, there's tons of training for them around how to kind of have that good conversation, but also move along and, and you know be respectful of everybody else who's waiting but um i think here we weigh more a little more on the side and plus you're going for ice cream you're not getting your groceries like it's usually people are out for an event for the night and and they're with somebody yeah that's a difference too when i'm standing there by myself it's very different than if i can have a conversation yeah it's kind of part of the whole thing you're just yeah, I'm sorry to inject my But I see your point. But again, when you get, get into a salt and straw, it's it's not like there's one one person back behind there that's trying to handle the entire. Like you've got multiple people back there that are doing the process, and it's not rushed. They're not rushed. You can tell they enjoy their enjoy their their job. Well, I hope so. So, like I said, it's it's when you get into those places where there is the one guy, and you're feeling sorry for him. And he's probably regretting signing up for that shift. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> we used but. to do that, though. So in the very, very early days, Ian, who was one of our first ever people who started working for Sonstra, I remember I used to tell him it would be, you know, November, the, our first November open on Alberta. And I would say, okay, Ian, nobody's coming tonight. Just so you know, I'm sure no customers are coming. Because I always start from the place of worst case scenario. <laughs> and so... Ian, he would agree to close the store by himself and never failed by like eight o'clock at night. He'd call me, Kim, people are here. And he's scooping and doing the cash register and making waffle cones. And so I would come tearing over there, hopefully after only having one glass of wine (laughs) and, uh, you know, working from the crack of dawn until we closed, which was great fun. But um, so we used to do that. You never knew. Finally, Casey Milligan came along and hired a team of people and, you know, got things on the right track. But... I always was worried that we every day was the last day. Sure. So have you done focus groups to find out the first thing people think about when they think of salt and straw? Because <laughs> I'm going to guess it's unusual flavors, mm-hmm. line. Mm-hmm. Line has got to be right up there. Lines. That's the yeah. first thing everybody talks about. 
and uh, I think there's a friendliness factor. I'm just curious, but I would ask you, would you like to have people, would you like to remove lines from the discussion, or, or, or does it add to the, does it add to the mystique? and the Mm. success I mean people say that they like I was talking to this woman the other day and she said you know it was Friday night and she had a pretty hard week and she was at home put her her jammies on and she was about to go to bed and she felt kind of like gosh I wish I could go out into the world and not just be at home I want to participate and she thought she said so I'm going to go get ice cream I put on my clothes and I went and got ice cream it took about 30 minutes. I got to talk to people in line, try some ice cream, and now I'm going home. But I did something, you know. And so I think within a certain amount of time, people, it's like it's part of going out and doing something and meeting people in your um, community or, or you know, from meeting people from who knows where. And, and so a little bit of it is having that experience. It's just funny, though, because we don't always have lines, you know, like um, – certain parts of the day are always quiet and then in the winter it can be quiet and so like this idea that we always have long lines is um isn't always true what about a webcam so people can <laughs> see shake shack has that they do <laughs> yeah and then the, a Give few years idea. ago there was sure. a company that wanted to start an app on restaurant lines mm-hmm. that we heather, uh, yeah. heather and i worked we, with yeah i talked to them yeah and yeah. that it kind of had a fatal flaw in that there was no restaurant that wanted to publicize, <laughs> that, but either they didn't want to publicize they didn't have a line or that they did, or a wait. That's exactly uh, for them, right. it was waits, not I so mean, much lines. Like on, uh, for instance, on Division Street, we hear people say a lot that they'll go and put their name in for dinner at Pock Pock and then they'll go have ice cream. And by the time they're done going through Salt and Straw, their name will be up at Pock Pock. So it's, you know, have dessert first and. It all works out. I do that at Chessa. I go get churros in the middle of the meal because uh-huh. at one point they closed earlier. Right. Now they're, <laughs> now they're, they're open. Um, well, uh, so how do you feel about uh, that waiting on lines? Do you, do you go anywhere and wait on line? Do you get your comeuppance? Oh, this is a bad question. I do. I wait in the salt and straw line. Okay. That's one thing. That's a business decision. I do. I wait there. Um, I am not a big line waiter. <laughs> that's the in pull fact, quote right there. <laughs> in fact, if uh, I'll miss, sometimes I'll miss out on a restaurant for quite a while because I'm like, well, we are never getting in there. We're going to have to wait forever. But in my defense, I have three little kids was, with me most of the time. I know. But so here's the deal. This is This is... I think Portland should adopt a little more East Coast attitude. You you've got some juice <laughs> you can use. Hey, if you know, if you call Greg and Gabby and listen, we if we can get in tonight, you can sort of imply that anytime you want to, you know, little trade there. Exactly, little trade. <laughs> but it doesn't happen here. It's, it's No, it's all about it's, boards, you know. It's so, we get in the longest traffic lane to wait here in Portland because we want to be polite. So. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it happens all the time. So I want to get a little into um, social all right. stuff for you and what this year has been. Because mm. I've seen you've been pretty verbal, mm-hmm. and rightly so, from my standpoint. <laughs> well, thank um, you. But it's been, it's been a hard year. You know, you uh, are in a mixed race family. So right. you've been feeling that, I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, how do you how do you feel it's going to go from here? How do uh, I mean a lot of things are out in the open now that weren't that were kind of 
they sure are put away and now it's it's there yeah i mean uh last two weeks ago when the big protest what happened in portland um the alt-right protest um you know that sunday i woke up and my partner mike was at work and so I was alone with my kids and I remember laying in bed thinking about what we were going to do. And, um, for the first time ever, I was really afraid to leave the house with them because I thought all these people are in town from all over the country and I don't know what's going to happen. You know, is someone going to approach us? Am I putting them in danger by leaving the house? And, um, this is something I don't see. I wouldn't know. I'm a white guy who grew up in a pretty white area but I can't. I can't imagine that. Well, I mean, ten years ago, there were people like you who were worried about going out of the house right. in this part of the country. Maybe you know somewhere else. But. That's right. That's right. I mean, I, and being a woman, of course, I've walked down the street, and I'm you know a little more careful than I might not be at other times. But not am I afraid to leave the house. I've never had that feeling before, and. Um, so my partner, Mike, is a doctor. He's one of a very few number of African-American doctors at OHSU. And I thought, you know, instead of staying home, let's go do something powerful. And we rode our bikes across the Tilikum Bridge for the first time. And the kids, like it was a huge accomplishment for them. And then we went up, took the tram up to the hospital. And I have pictures of them. You know, Mike dressed them up in scrubs and they got to go in the operating room. And it was like a very powerful experience for them. And I was telling Mike later that I was, you know, really afraid to leave the house that morning, or at least I thought about it a lot. And he said to me, that's the first time you've felt that way. He said, I feel that way every single day. It crosses my mind when I leave the house. Is this recent or forever? Forever. And, you know, as I talk to more people on my staff and... um, in different parts of the city about this they said yeah you know what happened on the max train was extreme but i get talked to like that on a regular basis when i ride the max train that's not new what happened there wasn't new and i think you know when we really start to take a close look at ourselves and what's happening in portland and what our history is here it's not good (laughs) and um And I think we all have a duty to start to just learn about that. Like, let's learn about how we ended up where we are, why, why we have this undercurrent here in the city of Portland and, um, in a liberal city. Yeah. Quote unquote liberal city. yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't know about the history of Portland, so I'm right there in the same basket with everybody else. And I think that, um, once we start to learn about it, there'll be great power in what we can do with that. And, there will also be great power at understanding where other people are coming from because like you said, you wouldn't, that wouldn't have crossed your mind. Like we, we just, you don't know what you don't know. Um, so like we're having at salt and straw, a few, um, sessions coming up with, um, some folks from the NAACP to understand, you know, the racial history of Oregon and Portland, Um, racial bias, gentrification. We just want to provide education for our team, ways to stop oppressive behavior if you're experiencing it. Um, And we'll be inviting people from the community to attend and participate if they want to. But um, I just want to start having those conversations so people are armed with information. They can do with it what they will. I I think it's interesting 
and uh, I've got to be a little careful how I word this, but I think there's something positive that will come out of this and mm-hmm. that there are a lot of discussions and there's a lot of thinking that is going on that did not go on during the Obama administration um, that's going on now because it's out there and it's it's causing a lot of us to uh, go a little further. Court and I just did a, a show on cultural mm-hmm. appropriation and mm-hmm. I, a year ago I wouldn't have, I didn't even know what that was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's it's causing us to think, and right now we're in this strange period, but we're not always going to be in this period. So hopefully yeah. we'll advance, but I, advance is tough. What does that look like? I don't know. Yeah, I guess the thing that scares me in the meantime is um, just this freedom that I'm seeing people take about the way they're approaching and talking to others and you know, I don't want, I'm afraid for my kids. I'm afraid for them. And I, I don't want something to be said, um, you know, to them that they're going to, and then they're going to come across this and I know they are, but I don't want that for them. You know, I don't want them to, I don't want to live in fear of my two African-American sons, you know, driving somewhere or getting stopped by the police. And, and, and I just feel like, you know, between here and there, um, during this time, you know, that you're talking about where things are we're more open to talk about things, there is a positive side to that, but there's a really super scary part to that too, where things are being said and done that are really harmful. And um, I'm really worried about that. And it's thought of as, as okay. It's thought of as okay. Yeah. yeah. And it never was before. It had to be there, there, there had to be political correct. It was called political correct, correctness, just a filter. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. are there things that you think you can? You're in an interesting place uh, from a business standpoint because mm-hmm. you run a happy business. Yes. Right. So, and a socially conscious, very socially conscious business. That's one of the things that has impressed me from the start. Mm-hmm. Are there things that you can do at Salt and Straw that go beyond? Salt and straw yeah. that go into the community to help make this to help make things better, I mean, or that someday will help help you not fear. Yeah, I mean the two things that come to mind for me. One is um, you know some of the work that we're doing on um, just hiring, for instance. So we got a grant from the city of Portland, or not a grant, but a tax credit from the city of Portland to start a, a community based hiring program, and so. We've already started work with um, the State Parole Board, um, United Way, Gateway to College, and a few others where, um, you know, I mentioned earlier we have this really incredible training program. And so we think that we're a good place for our first job or for someone trying to reenter the workforce. And um, our company is so energized by this idea that we can, you know, if someone's coming out of prison in Portland or in Oregon, I mean, we're one of the top bottom 10 in the country for employment rates. And guess what helps someone be successful coming out of prison? Oh, having a job. And um, (laughs) we also have some of the worst rates um, and statistics in terms of um, locking up. You know, our um, African American and um, and a variety of races here in Oregon. So, I mean, here we are. We're not doing anyone a service on either side. And um, when they're coming out, if we're not able to get them employment and get them on the right foot, 
um, I think it's just yet another strike against them. And so uh, also Oregon, where we're, we have some of the worst rates in terms of um, people being able to get their first job. So when you're a teenager um, right now, it's really hard here to get your first job. I think it's gone down. Why, by the, why, do, why is that, do you think? I don't know why it is. I mean, we're a fairly low-wage right? Yeah. city, I think. There are a lot of people who are working for I not a lot I think the competition of- is really high. Um, I was just at this event for Gateway to College where they're trying to get kids who, you know, are having troubles getting through high school, they're trying to get them into college. And one of the ways is to get, you know, a job that will help support that. And so we're working with them on on hiring. And then they were just saying that the statistics are not moving in the right direction. Is um, minimum wage, is that going to affect that negatively, that it's even going to be harder? People think so because the competition just goes up, you know, and why am I going to pay a 17-year-old $15 to, you know, have their very first job when I can select from now a much broader population. So so that's, so it's really important to be doing this work to make sure that we're able to get people in and get them their first jobs. Oh, which, by the way, also have great benefits and a career forward if they would like, either with our company or another company. Remember, I just told you we had to put this career forward <laughs> plan in place, like we're required to do it um, in order to succeed. So it all, you know, it benefits the company in the end, and it's truly sustainable, I think, for both parties. But, you know, when I think about what Consult and Straw do, um, one thing is to get, you know, roll up our sleeves and get involved in hiring and making sure that we're part of the solution um, to these problems that are happening. Um, and on the flip side, we also, you know, we have these signs in our windows that a lot of people have, and they say all are welcome here, and it, it kind of goes through um, through the, uh, this list of things. And um, I, um, we put those up right after the election. A lot of people did. They're done by a local artist in Portland. We also have them in our California shops. And I can't tell you, like, we got several people who were really upset about those signs going up. And so I made what, it... Um, what did they say? Well, I made it a point to get back to each of those people personally. Some of them came into our stores and started yelling at our employees, and some wrote letters. Um, anytime I could get their contact information, I got in touch with them. And, you know, this one conversation sticks out in my mind. This woman said that she was a Trump supporter, and... Those signs went up right after the election, so she couldn't help but assume that they were in response to the election. And, you know, in my mind, it was like, yeah, she's right. It was in response to the election. And I shared with her these stories that I had from my family and my staff who were all feeling very afraid. I mean, my kid was eight at the time, and he asked me if we had to move the day after the election because the other kids at school told him that, no, Trump didn't want any black people here, only white people. And so, you know, I shared that story with her and stories of um, people who work for me, their families being deported in the dark of night, you know, and these are the reasons that we hung these signs up because we wanted them to know, like, we see you and we support you and and we want to be part of this community of support. And so I think both, she was shocked to hear those stories. She was shocked to hear it. And I think both of us could kind of hear each other's side and understand where we were coming from, which was good. We didn't agree in the end. She's still writing me letters. I just got one after the shooting in Virginia. 
um, she wrote me another letter saying, does this make you change your mind? You know, like she's very, um, she, she really sees this one side of it and, and, and several people do, but what I'm trying to do is, is keep that conversation going because like you said, it's a happy place. We don't want to be a place where people come to get ice cream and, you know, they feel like they're in conflict. That's not the, the goal. I, I think we have much more opportunity to come and be a place where people can hear each other and be together we don't have very many places like that right now. And um, and if there is some points of dialogue along these lines that we can continue to have, then thank you. Like, I, I, I welcome that because there aren't many chances to do that right now. Um, so I don't think those signs are exactly right in accomplishing that goal, um, but they were a starting place. And I think we're, we have plans to continue to work on that. But I, I guess to answer your question, it's about that dialogue. I think that um, we have an opportunity to encourage that. Um, and so when you go in and buy a cone at Salt and Straw, it, there's a sign that says some goes, some of the dollars go to charity. How much, how much percentage, what percentage is that? And, and I know when Tyler was in here, he emphasized how important being part of the community was. Mm -hmm. and, and that was not only your social contract that mm -hmm. you had as a business, but I can see it's also a it's part of a marketing plan too, I would imagine, right? Because that's, while it's altruistic, it's mm -hmm. it's part of your DNA yeah. as well. Well, I which, mean. Which, oh, and I'm not yeah. trying to sound negative by oh, saying no, it's part of a marketing plan. It's, that's what makes you successful. Mm -hmm. Anything that's successful is part of a marketing plan. Well, yeah, I mean, right now we're doing um, a menu that uses reclaimed food. So we're working with urban gleaners in Portland to um, get fruits, vegetables, breads, spent grains, whey from cheese, all these different ingredients that would have gone to waste and we're using them to make ice cream. And the idea was, you know, we found out that about 40% of our food is going to waste in the United States, yet people amongst us are going hungry. So we, we have enough food in our city to feed everyone if we were able to figure out a distribution plan to get it to the right people. And we don't think by doing a menu for four weeks using those ingredients is going to solve the problem. But what we do have access to are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people coming in our stores. And if we can help shine a light on this issue and let people know that this is happening and allow them to get involved in supporting these organizations, maybe that can start to turn the tide um, of what's happening here. So we also donate some percent of proceeds um, in each campaign, it's usually around half of our profits, um, and we always want to make sure it's a meaningful amount. That's a that is a that's a large amount. Half is half that, of our profits. Yeah, is that standard in for business? That's not I have standard. no idea what's standard. <laughs> but I, I no, just normally people play the the safe bet and say a portion of our profit. right, which could be two percent or right. one percent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a portion. Is huge. But, yeah. So, but well, I think two percent or one percent of of a restaurant's <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's, 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 about how, yeah. no, it's, well, it's yeah. not like a. It's not like a. Yeah. We're not talking like a, a, no. a, a ton of money each each purchase, but just the fact that you're taking half of your profits, whatever that amount ends up to be, is is pretty significant. Right, yeah. and you can always play numbers with two percent. I once had this problem with a sales manager when there's a <laughs> there's a big difference between you know two percent of the gross and two percent of this of this part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, the, of profits. Um, so it depends on how you're wording that, but 50% is a lot. And um, I think that probably comes, I think it's important for people to know that because uh, 
you know, regardless of where we are in time, that's a uh, cone is is that's a it's fairly a expensive four. cone. Yeah, yeah. Right? And it's worth it because it's it's different. People are waiting in line for it. So there's no problem with that. But it's it's I think it's important for people to know that that, that it's those things are happening. Yeah, no, with I that mean experience. It, it's our favorite thing to do. And Tyler and I, this will be this was our fifth year doing a collaboration with the local um, elementary school near each of our shops where we developed a menu um, that the students came up with to benefit the local PTA. And so, I mean, there's several programs um, throughout the year that we do every single year and, and donate the proceeds back. And and the money is one thing and it's good and we're donating um, that. But, you know, it's we always try to make sure it's a bigger that that bigger than just like we get approached all the time. Like, will you give a percent of proceeds to this or that? And we'll oftentimes do it. But we prefer to do something that's more like we're meeting with the students for a month or two, our entire staff, and teaching them about jobs in the hospitality industry, the creative process, um, and how to bring something to market then afterwards and have it up in the shop. And um, it's just a much more, like, we want to be involved and bring our customers along as part of it, so, and be, you know, active in the community. You must get asked so much for free stuff. (laughs) And you do that. Uh, uh, You know, you're out there doing free things, all giving out free ice cream all the time. I can't believe how much salt and star ice cream I've had (laughs) and haven't paid for. (laughs) Wait a minute. No, no, (laughs) because you're out at events all the time, just handing it out. And I think I think that's fantastic. Well, thank you. I mean, yeah. But um, I forgot where I was going with that. Would you mark this court? Because I just lost my train of thought. No, I had somewhere I wanted to go with it. By the way, as long as we're stopped now, is there anything you want to talk about specifically that um, we need to get in here? I hadn't thought of it in advance. You hadn't thought of it. I would think that you'd you have... You know, sir, I'm lucky to be here right now. Oh, fuck. <laughs> we know. Planning ahead? Ah. <laughs> well, I, oh, I see. Um, we consider it very lucky that oh, you're no, here. Oh, no, I feel very lucky to be here. No, I'm, I'm just... I literally live my life that way it, in all aspects, like planning ahead no i'm just showing up and doing my best <laughs> that's so, pretty much all i do i actually i know what i w- would like to ask and i don't know how the segue is going to work court but okay, we'll, we'll figure but, it out yeah let's go let's go back a little to your um childhood because i have my childhood ice cream memories for sure my the girl that i loved for years <laughs> Gigi. if she's not listening she's in indian indiana <laughs> but and she knows it there's and by the way everybody knew it um she worked at Baskin Robbins, and I used to hang out there. And I think she made like a dollar eighty-seven an hour. That's the, we'll go back to the time. And I'm pretty sure that was the number. Uh-huh. I, uh huh. I remember making that too. Right, a dollar eighty-seven. So I used to hang out there. I mean, literally, I, they couldn't get rid of me. I was in those, and those seats were like the school seats where you had the <laughs> the little thing in front of you. You sat down, and um, what were your? Did they have Baskin Robbins in Billings, Montana? Mm-hmm. So they did. What else did they have? And we only went to Baskin Robbins. I think we went to the Tasty Freeze as oh, well. Yeah. We had Carvel too. Did you ever uh-huh. go to a Carvel? I have been to a Carvel. Okay. Yeah. I we used to do something in Billings, Montana, which is we would cruise. So we'd go up and down oh, yeah. Grand Avenue and stop and get ice cream. That was all, probably all great my- towns have the cruising. <laughs> That was probably my like yeah. And ice you, cream when were you, you driving? Were you driving a big 
Yeah, gas it was guzzler? a yeah, it was. I remember it was yellow and it was a Chrysler of some sort. I mean, it was huge. It was a big boat. I think my dad thought I would be safe in that, so I, I drove that big huge. Right, and you probably had no seatbelts on too with your metal dashboard. No, too. I and I was. I remember driving it home one day and the check engine light came on and there was smoke coming out and I thought, well, I think I can make it home. And I got home the rest of the way. It totally fried the engine and destroyed the car. And my dad was sure I had done it by purpose. He's like, you did not want to drive this car anymore. <laughs> well, so I, that now there's evidence you're way younger than I was because in those days I didn't drive a car with a check engine. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Shit would just happen. It was just like gone. So It works. It doesn't work. <laughs> and I, I was stranded all over. Did you travel a lot as a kid? Were you? No, were you, I um. So we would go on camping trips and, and drive. In fact, Mike uh, and I are taking our kids on our first road trip the end of this week. And who is your, and uh, that's, yeah. we'll get, well, yeah. okay, let's go there. Well, no, so we're, I would, I would, as a kid, drive, we would drive and drive and drive for days and days on road trips for our vacations. And I think the first actual traveling that I did was, um, I was a exchange student late in high school to Denmark. Oh, Nice. And that's where I first, like, I grew up in a very conservative family, and that's where I How first... How big was your family? That's um, I just have a little brother. Oh. So two, a mom and dad and a little brother, and um, very conservative family, and... Uh, How, do they, How did they feel about you moving to Portland, Oregon? Or, they, I'm sorry, at the time, Portland, Oregon. Yeah. I mean, they don't, they're, they don't get me... I don't think they understand Still? anything that's going on. What are they, no. they don't know that, they don't, uh, <laughs> they don't get this, like... Do they still feel the way they felt that you didn't get a really good job when you were working? No, for I mean they're starting to see like this might have a future, so they they I think they get that a little bit more. But I think just the entire you know like my family, yeah, they don't agree with my politics. It's a pretty uh, it's difficult. It's a challenging situation, and I think to bring do it they, back to do, that, do yeah, you go there for holidays. Is that? Um, we just saw each other. So grandma, you know, we have, um, the, on our menu, um, the almond brittle, which is grandma Malik's almond brittle. Well, grandma Malik passed away recently. It's Tyler and I's grandmother. Yeah. And, um, so I got to see my whole family during that time and my extended family were all very close. Um, my parents are though they're Yeah. I think they, they also see my activity on social media and, um, they don't. They don't know. They do not agree. They don't get it. So it's a little. It's a little tense. So time. We even in time and seeing what you've accomplished and and that you have a joyful life. That's not seeping in. And there, you give me <laughs> that. And they're thinking, sure it is. okay, okay, maybe we should think of things differently because that's, you know, here we are talking about changing things in a whole city and a culture and. This is your family. Yeah. Isn't that the harder part, though, I think? Well, The people close to you. I don't know. I mean, I think, um, gosh. It should be the easier part, right? It should be the easier part, I would think. I know. And I see people who have families with different political opinions, and they're able to talk about it and work through it. But we're not as much like that. So, um I don't know. It gives me good insight into the other side, I guess, in some ways, but it's, it's so ha- tricky. And how'd you get out of Billings? Go to college in Washington? Mm-hmm. I went to college in Washington, and then I, I stayed out here. So I'm kind of, I prefer the cities, I guess, over the... And if you had your druthers, because you spent time in Seattle, what do you, 
and you don't have to be politically correct ah. here, but, but you're looking at Seattle, right? For Portland all day long. I mean, I was just up in Seattle, and um, and it is so beautiful with all the you know the water and then the mountains surrounding the bay. And but um, and I hope to God we don't lose this. But Portland is just like the livability here is so lovely, and I. I also, I mean, the reason I moved to Portland to start, and I wanted to start an ice cream shop in Portland is the sense of community we have here. I mean, I can remember in the mid-90s when I was living here, walking down the street and literally meeting people who are still my lifelong friends. I met Lori Wolfrey, who started Oregon Chai, and I, well, I met her walking down the street, or, you know, we'd be sitting on the side of a, um, you know, cafe, smoking clove cigarettes with Thomas Lauderdale and planning our, you know, future um, all the great things we were going to do in the world and everyone, everyone's walking by and, you know, you just, it's so connected. And um, so I, Portland's very unique that way. And Yeah, I think it's special. I tried to wend my way through Seattle and it's a, it's a very different attitude. Yeah, but I mean, I we, lived in Seattle and a few other places and I always wanted to move back to Portland. That was my always And my we dream. hope we're not going to lose it as we get more people who aren't, you know, I, we're all... Most of us are transplants, right? That's They're, right. Most of the people here, but they, but but Portland and Oregon seeps in, as opposed to the other. The I other think way around. so. I mean, I feel like we're. Um, I mean, there's some hard things we're facing, like the livability issues, and you know, even doing business in San Francisco, you can see how hard they're fighting for their life to try to maintain their neighborhoods and the sense of community and who they are versus. Um, you know this big wave that's coming at them and when it gets it's so expensive it's almost it's it is it's impossible to figure out how to live mm-hmm. there they've been dealing with that for a long time and yeah. all those people are, have come to portland which has kind of created the problem all right we need to you we are so blessed to have oh, had you here i'm blessed you have an appointment we have to end this so <laughs> we could i feel like court we could go on oh sure yeah forever Aww. so last question just to end Uh-oh. it what is your absolute favorite Flavor. If you had to go to a desert island with one salt and straw flavor, salt and straw flavor, what would that? Or be? not salt and straw. <laughs> yeah. How, that, how would that there be? You go. Uh, okay. Yeah. Give a shout out to Chad Drazen. Right? <laughs> yeah. I love That's Chad. 50 lists, I love 50 Chad. Lists, yes. Um, I and my absolute favorite ice cream is always strawberry ice cream. It always has been. That was the first one I had at your at your cart, your push cart, strawberry balsamic. And, and so that's still my favorite. Like I just love Oregon strawberries, and I love the honey balsamic. I I love that flavor. That be my desert island flavor. I think, and I think um, uh, cookie dough ice cream would be my. Ben and Jerry's cookie dough ice cream would be my non salt and straw flavor. Mm. And then, do you ever have any that you think? That you're, you know, you think this is not, I don't like this, but everybody else seems to <laughs> go with it. No, nothing makes it to the menu that I'm not totally crazy. Oh, you, ha- you have to like it. I mean, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. What, have, if Ty- yeah. what if Tyler likes something a lot and you don't? How does that work? We've never had that situation where he's like, I love this and I hate this. In fact, it was the only the, a couple times it's been the opposite where I really love something and he's been like lukewarm about it, but then he'll usually like massage it to a place that he's a hundred percent there before we go forward. <laughs> so, but we are it's pretty collaborative from that perspective. Yeah, so so it's you. Is it you two are mm-hmm. the arbiters of this? Mm-hmm. And what happens when you get bigger? You can't continue. And we're, we're near in different cities. 
you know what we are it will still be so i mean tyler we're having him do less and less and less so he can really just focus on making ice cream so i mean that's the benefit to adding more people is he still is, is he got a girlfriend <laughs> no comment. Yeah, I was going to say, he's got to be one of the most, if he doesn't, he's got to be one of the most eligible bachelors like my grandfather. My grandfather was asking me that question. Tyler was sitting right next to us. I'm like, you can ask Tyler. He's sitting right there. Well, I, I know he had a girlfriend and I just saw her recently and they're not we together. We love her. Yeah, so yes. she's delightful, but I didn't know. So I just thought he's got to have, you know, he's a good looking guy. He's right. smart. He's got a great, who's got a better job? <laughs> Thank you so much, Kim. Thank Appreciate you. it. I love you. I love you. You've been so kind to uh, to me since you didn't even know me. That's the Portland spirit. That's the Portland spirit. And you to me. Thank you. Thank you. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right